Welcome to the Boo Church Podcast. The mature you doesn't just start, the mature you finishes. Today, in the fifth installment of the collection of talks, Mature Me, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. shares what it looks like to play the long game of maturity. In this message, there's more to life than desire. For more conversations like this, check out the new podcast, Mature Me with Rich Wilkerson Jr. Conversations on life, faith, and leadership. Now let's lean into the message together. Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, someone say, but as for me. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can I get a big amen right there? I want to talk, if I can, for a few moments today from this subject. There is more to life than desire. There's more to life than desire. This is my fifth message in a collection of talks that we have titled Mature Me. And uh, maybe you're just getting here on the tail end of the fifth week, or maybe you've been with us since the first Sunday in January. It doesn't matter uh, wherever you're coming in at. I believe God's going to speak to you today. And this phrase, mature me, as I have been saying every week, is an important phrase for me because it's the prayer that I am starting the year out praying. And I've been inviting many of you on this journey to pray it with me. God, would you mature me in 2024? God, would you develop me? And God, would you grow me? And God, would you help me become the man you've designed me and developed me and ordained me to be? God, would you chip away the rough edges of my life that I might come out like pure gold on the other side? But it's not just this prayer, it's also this question. It's the dangerous question we've been asking. What would the mature me do? And using as a backdrop or as a foundation, we've been studying the life of Joshua. Joshua is an incredible person in the Bible and we see much of his life. He was the aide to Moses. He was the apprentice of Moses. He was the general of the Israelite army. And then after Moses dies in Joshua chapter one, he transitions into leadership. And how many of y'all know that maturity is always seen in the transitions of life? You wanna know how mature you are? Just look at how you respond to change. Because life is full of change. Change is inevitable, but maturing is optional. Some people don't know how to transition, and some people don't know how to lean into the change. And we get to watch Joshua as he does it. In Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to him of great promise. And I preached about the idea that God rarely gives us plans, but he always gives us a promise. And you might not know the exact plan for this year, but anybody thankful that God has promised you every place you put your foot, he says, I will go with you. But it's not just that the promise is the plan, it's that the challenge is the change. And some of us, we've got big challenges in our life, but understand that every challenge that God brings into your life, it's actually an opportunity to change you. 
Julio, that class of students that you are right now pastoring and leading, he's teaching theology at a Christian school. You would think that's an easy job. That's a challenge. But that challenge is an opportunity to change you in this season, that God's developing you and growing you and actually answering every prayer that you've always asked him to do. You've always said, God, make me a man of God. God, give me an opportunity. God, give me a platform. And God, give me a pulpit. Well, guess what? That's the pit, and you gotta pull them it's called the pulpit. You feel what I'm talking about right there? You've got to actually begin to lead them. It's the opportunity that God's created for you. But it's not just that the challenge is the change. It's also that the fame is the game. Because when you start obeying God, many times what happens is that obedience to God many times can lead to fame with men. That obedience with God can lead to success. And the question is, when God lets you win, who will you give the glory to? I always try to teach pastors. We've got some pastors here from the UK. You've got to be real careful because sometimes pastoring, you can get so disappointed and you can start blaming yourself going, man, I wish this thing was growing and man, I wish people would show up and man, I must be the worst. But be very, very careful not to blame yourself in decline because if you blame yourself in decline, you might give yourself credit in the increase. And you got to realize it is God. I plant seed, I water seed, but come on, anybody thankful for a God who makes it grow? Pride is the pitfall of all of us, and we have watched the life of Joshua. Today, we are coming to the fifth part, and as we get to Joshua chapter 24, something really interesting is taking place here. Joshua has come to the end of his life, the end of his life. He is 110 years of age, 110 years of age, and he comes outside of his tent, and he makes a declaration to the people of Israel, and it is some of the most famous words in the Bible as he looks out at the people and he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we gonna serve the Lord. These are famous last words of a mature man. What I want you to see today as we kind of come to this fifth part is that maturing in God is not just about starting stuff, it's about finishing stuff. The mature me doesn't just begin, the mature me completes things. You see, these words are not just famous simply because they are powerful, while they are powerful words. And these words are not just famous because of the person who is saying them, although the person who is saying them is quite an interesting man of God. But really what makes these words so, so famous and so powerful is when they are said. Because this man has lived a full life. This man is 110 years of age. He's not 17, he's 110. How many of y'all know, it's one thing to be radical when you're young. It's another thing to be radical when you're old. We have a brand new worship album coming out in this new year and there's this song on the record that I love. My wife and I with our friend Aiden, we wrote it and it's called, I'm Still Not Over You. And I like the phrase because the line says, when I was young, your love was all I knew. But now that I'm old, <laughs> but now that I'm old, nothing else will do. I'm still not over you. Come on. Anybody want to finish the race? I want us to be a church that's built to last. I want us to be a church that finishes well. 
I want us to be a church that is mature and you will never be mature if all you ever do is start stuff. I can't explain to you how many young guys I went to Bible college with who were radical, who were on fire, but they didn't even make it to 40, let alone 110 years of age. I don't know about you, but I have a vision for my life. The vision for my life is that I'm better at 70. The vision for my life is the older I get, woohoo, the better I get. The vision I have for my life is that when I get to the end of my life, I'm still looking out at people saying, I don't know what y'all gonna do, but as for me in my house, we have decided we will serve the Lord. Come on, where's the mature men? Where's the mature women of God? The older I get, the more and more I recognize it's not that radical to offer God everything when you got nothing. God, I'll do whatever you want. Dog, you are 16. I'm not coming against you, but it's a different thing when you got a wife. It's a different thing when you got some children. It's a different thing when you got a mortgage. It's a different thing when you got a retirement set up. It's a different thing to offer God everything when you finally have something. I want to grow, I want to become, I want to finish well. If I don't finish well, I think so much of what we've even done here is a big waste of time. I want to continue to grow up. Someone say, never stop growing. Never stop growing. May that be the habit and the value of our church that we would never stop growing. But what I've learned is, is that you can't spell grow without two letters, G-O. In order to grow, you gotta go. <laughs> go speaks of an action, it speaks of a movement, it's kinetic energy, it's not stagnant, it's actually taking action and moving into something. And man, I wanna talk today around finishing well and lasting and being a person of longevity and completing that which you start, but I just gotta be honest with you, you can't finish well if you never begin. You can't finish well if you never begin. And I've kind of been preaching from this premise that this is the Peter Pan generation that it's a whole bunch of people that are refusing to grow up, it's a whole bunch of people that are living in Neverland, that people are passing you by, but as a man, some of us are failing to actually step into adulthood, failing to step into responsibility, failing to grow up. Millennials and Generation Z, it's shocking some of the stats that we find today. Right now, we are living in a time where the youth of America, we have never seen this level of obesity and medication in a generation ever before. I was reading these stats earlier this week that the average American male, listen to this, will actually play 14,000 hours of video games before the age of 21. That's 500 plus days, that's a year and a half of their life. A year and a half of their life given over to Halo. What are the, what are the big games right now? 2K, 2 Madden. Not even an athlete. A digital athlete. For the first time in 150 years, people between the ages of 18 and 34 are more likely to live with their parents than they are in their own place or with their own spouse or with their own partner. 
The age of marriage has completely increased now that the average age of people getting married is 28 to 30 years of age. This is six to eight years older than it was 35 to 40 years ago. These are all signs and symptoms of a generation that's failing to launch, that's failing to step out. And I want to preach about finishing well, but I just recognize that many people who listen to my messages online or here today, we can't even talk about finishing well because you've never even begun. You've never even started. You haven't even gotten the race. You're just hovering. And we say, Richard, what are the reasons for this? And Man, there's so many different reasons as you start studying. One of the big reasons, and I think it's important because this is a young community and people are growing up, but one of the big reasons why a generation is failing to launch is because of parenting. It's just like, and I'm not an expert parent, but I had pretty good parents. And one of the things that you see today in America is what we call helicopter parenting. Do you know about helicopter parenting? It's just hovering. <laughs> Don, Shoe and I, we were at the park the other day. It's funny, right? When you have your first child, Remember when you had your first child, like you were like, oh God. This is how I walked for the first month. Pass me the baby, pass me the baby, pass me the baby, pass me the baby, pass me the baby. We, we, we had our child over here at the South Miami Hospital. And y'all, it took me an hour to get Wyatt into the car seat. I'm like, nope, 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 hey, nope, nope, seatbelt. Like I just, and then I drove 10 miles. Come on, remember this? I drove 10 miles below the speed limit. I'm like, 10 and two, 10 and two, you know? Don, she's like trying to, I'm like, don't talk to me, I'm driving my child, you know? But by the third one, I threw the car seat on top of the car, almost drove off. Hey, she's on the top! We were at the park the other day, and God bless this person if she's here, we love you. But I love passive aggressive judgmental parents that don't even know me, you know? My wife and I were laying at the park and our three kids are over on the swings with, I don't know, some friends of ours and my boys. We named one of our boys Wild, okay? They're being pushed so high and they're screaming, Don Tree and I, we're not even looking at them. We're just working on our own love. By the way, it was our love that made them. The best thing we could ever give them is loving each other. And um, while we're laying there, there's this other mom there at the park and she's around her, I don't know, her two or three year old daughter, and she's up, she's up on the top of the playground at the slide, and let's just call her daughter's name Sophie. Sophie, 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 no, 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 Sophie, Sophie, Sophie. And she's getting on the slide, and then she looks at Don Trina and goes, she goes, are those your kids over there? I was like, excuse me? She's like, those children over there, are they yours? And I'm like, Yeah, those are our kids. She's like, are they okay? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, it's just, I'm so scared for them. I'm so scared. I'm so scared for them. I, I could never, ever, ever, ever let her do that. And I'm like, lady, what are you trying to say to me right now? And God bless her, but it's, it's a helicopter parent. It's parents that want to make kids more comfortable instead of trying to make kids more confident. We are living in a time. Come on. 
We are living the time that the extreme comfort is making us soft. We don't know anything about resiliency. We don't know anything about fighting back because we have been comforted and coddled to the point that nothing is getting strong around us. Parents, I, I wanna challenge you as you're raising kids, man, look for ways to make them confident. Look for ways to challenge them. Look for ways to give them responsibility. My kids, man, they are not perfect. They are real rough around the edges. But man, yesterday, Don Shreen, we had had them out in the backyard raking leaves, not because I can't afford a landscaper, not because they're even good at raking leaves, but because I'm trying to show them that they're gonna have to get some responsibility if they're ever gonna launch. Roman culture was really, really interesting because you study Roman culture. They had three different phases. It was infatia, which was birth to six years of age. It was purita, seven to 13 years of age. And it was pubertus, which is 14 to 20 years of age. And that last third stage was this stage of adolescence. And the whole point of this stage in Roman culture was raising children to release children. Raising your kids to let them go. Raising your kids knowing they're gonna leave and are they prepared to leave? I think in American culture, there's things that we've just failed to do, that we've gotten rid of our rites of passages. I wanna encourage you, man, like help your kids understand the stages of development. Help them grow. Help them identify progress points. I grew up in a family that, man, my dad just made up rites of passages for us. He just made up moments. I, I love Jewish culture that they have bar mitzvahs, these moments where they are speaking something into a child's life and saying, this is a line of demarcation that you're, you're crossing over, you're launching into something. I go back to my childhood and my church and my parents were just always creating a world that I could grow. And we used to have a Royal Ranger program and we would go from Royal Rangers into the Buckaroos and then Buckaroos into Pioneers. I used to go to Wednesday night church and in Wednesday night church, I had so many men around me in this kind of like Christian Boy Scouts program. They used to have this thing called the cut and chop card. Now this is not legal, this was our church. The cut and chop card was after I went through enough classes around how to handle a knife, they would give you a card and have a ceremony and say, from here on out, you can now carry a knife to church. <laughs> what were we thinking? But man, at 12 years of old, I walked into church going, I'm growing into being a man. I can carry my knife. No, you can't. I got a cut and chop card. My dad, when we turned 18, he had a ceremony called our knighting ceremony. You're like, what? Yeah, man. My dad was trying to get me to realize, hey, you are becoming a man. You are 18 years of age. And so what he did is he invited men from my life, uncles and pastors and friends of mine to come. The girls weren't allowed to come. You say, is that, that's like chauvinism and that's male. No, 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 no. He was letting me know that you are created as a man and that's different from a woman and we're gonna help you launch into manhood. And he wrote in a Bible for three or four years. He would take notes, and as he was taking his own personal devotion, he would write me letters in the Bible. Would you believe it? I preach from that Bible every Sunday, but I've had a crazy week. I left that Bible on the airplane last night. So I kind of feel naked up here because I don't even know whose sword this is I'm holding. But dad put his sword in my hand and said, now you are launching into manhood. Come on, somebody. But there's a reason why a generation is failing to launch. It's not just parenting, it's technology. 
Technology. Technology is, is, is robbing a generation. I'm not against technology, but technology is a tool that should help you advance and move quicker and faster, but it should not rob you of the skills that you desperately need. Technology is, it's wild, bro. Social media, what's happening with a generation, we would rather watch somebody else's life instead of live our own. Some of you in this room, it's like you are not launching or starting because you're so obsessed with how somebody else is doing it and they look better than you and you don't think you could ever do it like them and so you never actually start your own life. Bro, you get one life. I'm not against TikTok or Instagram. I'm against TikTok. I'm not that against Instagram. But I'm against anyone being robbed of their God-given opportunity to live, 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 live. I mean, it's deep stuff because when I was growing up, we had to do these things called research papers. Now you just go to Wikipedia. It's already done for you. Chat GPT, write me a sermon, Chat GPT. And what you're seeing all across the nation today is our reading skills are decreasing our comprehension ability. We look smarter, but our mind is not getting sharper, it's getting duller. 1909, one of the Harvard presidents, his name's Charles Eliot, he got up and gave a famous speech, and in his famous speech, he said, all you need is a three-foot library, and with it, you can get a real education, and you can become who you're meant to become. Well, he just made the statement, and afterwards, he got done, and they came to him and said, what are all the books that should be in the three-foot library? And he started actually doing research on it and he realized, all right, maybe I was wrong. You actually need a five-foot library. <laughs> but the five-foot library is what became known as the Harvard Classics, which is 50 different volumes of four to 500 different uh, page books, which are from some of the forefathers of America, to some of the greatest minds that ever lived. What he was trying to suggest is, is that you don't need as much as you think that you need, but even just with a five-foot library in your home, you can begin to unlock real concepts. You could sharpen your mind. You could learn for yourself. We're living in a really dangerous time because so many of us are moved. We, we, we watch the news or we we scroll social media or we go into deep dives on YouTube and we think we're being informed, but in reality, we're being influenced. We can't think for ourselves. My generation, I, I love them, but like, you know, my generation thinks that socialism is like really cool. They're like, oh my gosh, it's really cool. But in reality, my generation just has never actually looked at the consequences and the ramifications of what socialism ever does to a nation. We. And we can have a conversation on it, let, let, let's have a convo on it, but what you'll find out is that there's microaggression all in the generation because it's how you make me feel versus actually how I'm thinking about something. And so we're moved by our emotion and it happens with theology, right? Like theology, what's happening in the church today is we think that love has to always be nice. And it's, it's, it's what I would call shallow theology. Listen, I preach with handles and sound bites and cliches. I love all that stuff. A handle is important, but listen to me. If all of your theology is simply made up of handles, understand you are holding on to nothing. Your bag is empty. The handle, the handle has to be attached to a bag and the bag has to be full of stuff. The bag is your belief. The bag is what you know to be true. 
Not every truth of God can be put into 160 characters. They can't always rhyme. The handle is to help you be more effective and efficient of carrying what it is that you believe everywhere that you go. I know what I believe. And with it, many of us will never even get to the place of finishing well because we've never even launched and begun. Joshua was somebody who, who started the journey. And we've been looking at his life for five weeks. And now we come to the end of his life. And at the end of his life, it's not just what he says. It's not just how he says it. It's when he says it. I'm 110 years of age. I've lived this thing out. And I believe it now today more than when I begun. This is the picture that I want for my life. This is the vision that I am running after. This is what I hope you're running after. You say, well, how do you, how do you finish well? I want you to write three things down that I think we see from Joshua's life, but we can also begin to put into our life. How do I become a person of resiliency? Number one, you have to learn how to bounce back. Someone say bounce back. You have to learn how to bounce back. When I was a kid, we used to have these inflatables that they put sand at the bottom of them and you would punch them. You ever, you ever punch these things? And it didn't matter how hard you hit this thing, it would always come right back up. That is a skill that you have to get this into your spirit. I don't care how many times I get knocked down. I don't care how many times the life pushes me back. I don't care how many setbacks I have. Every setback is an opportunity for a bounce back. Come on, somebody. Every setback is an opportunity for a bounce back. And when you study Joshua, Joshua's whole life wasn't always made up of wins. Joshua's life was not always made up of victories. No, Joshua lost his first battle against AI. He went there to that city and they were defeated. What did he do? He got down on his knees and he sought God and he cried out to God and he said, God, please help me. And then God spoke to him. He got up off of his knees, went back to AI and on the second time when they went and fought, they were victorious. Why? Because many times your gain is found in your again. Many of us, you're one gain away. You just gotta do it again. Go back, bounce back. Come on, somebody. You gotta bounce back. The only way you become resilient, the only way that you'll last is recognizing it's not how I only respond to success, it's how I respond to defeat. And listen to me, your maturity level is always an indication your maturity and how mature you are is when you feel like you've been defeated or when you failed, how long does it take you before you get your confidence back? Because my life is not just a life of success. It's a life of failure. It's a life of mistakes. It's a life of falling down. In fact, all of the greatest successes in my life, I'm telling you what, I stand on top of mounds and mounds of failure. But you bounce back. You know, I've been wearing our church out. If you're new to our church, sorry, but if you listen to me talk, you get a lot about Jesus and you hear a lot about my life. Um, I've worn our church out for many, many weeks about me attempting or wanting to run the marathon. What I never told you was that after 10 weeks of preaching about it, right before uh, the Christmas break, um, I was experiencing radical pain in my foot. And so I went to the doctor, I went and got an MRI, and I discovered that my um, fourth metatarsal had a stress factor. To be honest with you, I never heard that word metatarsal in my entire life. 
Anyone like me, once you learn a new word, you just start dropping it all over the place? <clears throat> yeah, my metatarsals have been bothering me. Oh, you don't know what that means? <clears throat> it's your toes. Uh, I had a stress fracture. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. In fact, I didn't have enough strength to really even tell the church in a live setting, because I was like, I, this is ridiculous. Like, they have been on the journey with me. And, and they say you need six to eight weeks to, to, to rest it. I was five weeks from the race, and so I said, I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna run. And we actually put up on Instagram uh, my MRI, MRI report. You would have thought that it was like the, you know, 2024 election, man. <laughs> I was like, geez, bro. Like the, the, the comment section was more polarizing than the Republicans and the Democrats. I'm like, <laughs> some people are like, you gotta run it for the glory of God. <laughs> Other people were throwing my, they're like, you told us to wait on God. How dare you even consider running this race? You are so vain. I was like, geez. <laughs> it was just like, woo, like, oh my gosh. What I've learned on this journey is that health, listen to me, is measured in how fast it takes you to recover. See, we've always had a goal as a church, I would recommend this to you guys as well in the UK, don't set out a goal to be a big church. Set out a goal to be a healthy church. Because life, no matter what, is going to hit you. If you're gonna be a part of this church, it's not gonna always be awesome. People are gonna let you down. People are gonna disappoint you. People are gonna offend you. Someone's gonna say something you don't like. The question is, are you healthy? Because if you're healthy, you can bounce back. You ever seen some people, it's like, bro, you are still living in a season from 20 years ago, man. Life has passed you by and here you are still wounded, still hurt, dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness and woe is me. It's because you never learned how to bounce back. You weren't healthy to start. Health is measured in how fast you can recover. So I went for five weeks, and to be honest with you, the week of the race, my foot was hurting, but I went and talked to my podiatrist, and I, I said, I'm aware of it, but it's not like, you know, I'm able to walk, but, it, but it, I'm kind of limping. He said, well, you get to make a decision. He goes, it's your decision. He goes, you could run, and it could get worse. Uh, you might be able to run, and maybe you'll be able to make it through it, and you have to rest afterwards, but I know you've trained for a long time, the decision is yours. And so I talked to my wife about it. And I said, you know what? I feel like I, I, I trained. I don't know if I'm, you know, I did all this to become a runner forever. I think I just did this to run a race. And so I was like, I, 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 wanna, I wanna run this. And so she gave me her blessing and I went for it. Friends, the day of the race, I was walking out the race and I had a slight limp. You can see it on the video. But I started running this thing. I did not get the time that I wanted, but it had nothing to do with my foot. It had to do with the fact that I hadn't ran in five weeks. But I ran that thing. And I wanna be honest with you, a whole week has passed. This morning I woke up, I ran another five miles. I actually believe that God healed my foot. I mean it. I think God healed me. I think God healed me. But I learned something powerful in the whole process. And what I learned is, is that sometimes you have to learn how to play hurt. Sometimes you have to go, all right, I'm not at 100%. But just because I'm not at 100% doesn't mean I can't complete and finish that which I've set out to do. I wanna be a person. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a community. Come on, that bounces back. Come on, any bounce back kind of people in the house today? Bounce back. Bounce back. But if you're gonna finish well, it's not just bouncing back. You have to cultivate character. We have to cultivate character as a church. 
character. Who are you when nobody is watching? Who are you in private? Integrity and honesty and holiness. These things matter. If you're hoping to find integrity on the stage, but you've never lived it in the shadows, it won't be there for you when you need it. If you wanna build your character, you have to stop acting like a character. You can't be one thing there and another thing over there. It's amazing, because when I come to Voo Church, everyone's so kind and nice. How you doing, pastor? God bless you, pastor. Oh, pastor, so good to see you. Love the message, pastor. Is that a cashmere sweater? I love it. I'm always like, are these people like this on Monday at work? <laughs> we need to live an integrated life. Not a disintegrated life. Joshua was a person. The reason why he lasted well is because he was not fearing man more than he feared God. And you will never build character if you fear man more than you fear God. We've got so many indications of Joshua's life, but my favorite is when he was a younger man. Not at his older years, but as a younger man. He's probably 40, 45 years of age. When they were taken into the land of Canaan with 12 spies, Moses, his leader, gave him an assignment. He didn't complain about the assignment. He just went and obeyed the assignment. And he went, him and Caleb, along with 10 other spies. And when they got there, they came back with the scouting report. And what I see about Joshua clearly and quickly is that Joshua does not live for the popular opinion. Popular opinion was, yo, we cannot invade that land. The popular opinion was, there's too many giants, it's too scary, it's too big, we will never ever be able to overcome them. But the right answer and the true answer and the answer of integrity and the faith answer came from Joshua and Caleb. The Bible says that they had a different spirit. It was character. And they said, yeah, there are giants, and yeah, there are obstacles, but if the Lord spoke it to us, if the Lord promised it to us, we should take the land. Someone say, cultivate character. Lastly, because I'm out of time, but I got more message. You have to embrace the call. You have to embrace the call. If I'm gonna be a person who's going to last, if I'm gonna be a person who doesn't just start but I finish, I have to bounce back, I have to cultivate my character, but I actually have to embrace this call. And that's what it is, being a Christian is a call. You didn't save yourself, he saved you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He called you, he called you. And what I love about Joshua is Joshua was never trying to do more than what God asked out of him. He was simply trying to obey the assignment God had given him. He just said, Lord, I want to be your humble servant. And here he is at 110 years of age. And he comes out of his tent. He's about to die. And he looks at the people he has been leading. He's honored God and he's honored the people. And he looks at them and he says, fear the Lord. Throw away your idols. Quit looking to the world. This is what he says. 
He says, if serving the Lord is undesirable to you, then choose this day. Will you serve your forefathers' idols from the Euphrates or will you serve the gods right here, the Amorites? If it's undesirable to you, I can't choose for you. I can't make you serve God. I can't make you love God. All I can do as a leader is lead by example. You can't force your kids to do nothing. We tried. (laughs) All you can do is put a line in the sand to say, but for me, the mature me, but for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. I I, I like that word that he says, if it's undesirable to you. Sort of a funny word. Because I think that's where a lot of people get lost. I'm just going to follow the desires of my heart. Wherever my desires go, my desires will lead me. Careful with that. Jeremiah says, this heart is deceitful above all things. I do not believe that Joshua lasted in leadership and finished well because he followed the desires of his heart. In fact, I don't think he ever woke up saying, what do I desire? Because I'm just telling you right now, I don't know if any of us would desire serving the Lord in the wilderness. I don't think it's very desirable to serve God for 40 years being delayed from your destiny. Some of you in this room, you've been delayed for four months and you're about to curse God. If he don't show up, I'm out. It's because you're being led by your desires. There's more to life than your desires. There's more to life than your desires. Joshua's different. He throws that cheap statement out there if it's undesirable to you. But as for me, now he gives the secret. As for me and my house, what is he suggesting right there? He's suggesting I've made a decision. Desires fade. Decisions last. You want to be somebody who lasts and goes the distance? It better be decisions over desire every single time. I've decided, I've decided, I've decided. I've just made a decision. When I married my wife, you think Dawn Cherie has stayed with me for 20 plus years because every morning she wakes up just desiring to be married to me? I wish, I wish. No, but she made a decision for richer or poor. I'm still working on that richer part, but hey, she made a decision. In sickness and in health. You think my mom desires to be in a hospital room at UM, watching her husband go through chemotherapy, watching his blood platelets go down and down and dead? Desire has nothing to do with it. She made a decision 50 plus years ago that in sickness or in health, I'm with you. Till death do us part. I only bring up the marriage vows because some of you have the wrong picture. You think you came to hear a talk today. You think you came to a gathering. You think you came to make some self-improvement. And we're happy for all of the reasons that your heart might have led you into this place. But this gathering is a prophetic gesture that we are the church. And last time I checked, the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. 
and I've made some vows. I've made some decisions. Some of you today, if you're ever going to mature, you're going to have to make some decisions. I've decided. I've decided. I'm here. I've decided. I'm planted. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. My desires, whew, they're fickle, but I've decided. I close with this verse. It's been speaking to me all week. John 21, verse 18. Peter has betrayed Jesus. Peter has fallen away. But here comes Jesus. Right back, watch this, to the first place he found him, fishing. And how good is the grace of God? He calls him again. See, when you don't bounce back, God bounces back. When you're faithless, he's still faithful. And he beckons him to the seashore. He's cooked him breakfast. And he's asked Peter three different times, do you love me? He asked him three times because Peter betrayed him three times. He was giving Peter the opportunity three different times to make up for the three different mistakes that he made. But watch what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you, listen it, listen, listen, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What's become very evident to me in the last five weeks is that maturity to God more often than not means that I would be willing to go places and do things that left to my desires, I would never do them. But maturity in God and the mature me says, Lord, the older I get, the more willing I am for you to lead me even to places that I do not want to go. Because following Jesus is more than getting your heart's desire. Following Jesus is doing and living out the desire of him. Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise in this house. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present. And I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com slash online. We love you.